0: Bel Air, the official podcast is produced by iHeart Podcast Network and Peacock.
1: Hey everyone, we're back. Welcome to episode two of Bel Air, the official podcast. I am DJ Jazzy Jeff.
0: And I'm Aida Osman. I am so glad to be back. I just watched the fourth episode of Bel Air. I'm assuming most of our listeners have too. I know you did. Yes. So
1: today's show is really special to me because it's so, so personal. We're gonna talk about the style of the show and how the minds behind the show built the worlds of Philly and Bel Air visually and especially with the music.
0: Yep, that's right. And we all know the original show is responsible for setting fashion and music trends of its time. I don't know, Jeff, you might know a little bit about the music trends, but how do you feel like the current show pays homage to the original show? I think it's a great graduation
1: to where we are today. The fashion is just on 10 with the sneaker culture and just everything that everyone is into today. It definitely pays homage to the old show, but with a graduation to a next level up.
0: Yeah. And I mean, just even coming from like the younger generation, I can feel it and I can resonate with it. It doesn't feel corny, tacky. It feels intentional. And the music especially stood out to me because... We're getting the, the deep, gritty sounds of Philly that I love, but also the warm, bright, jazzy tones of L.A. That's just a testament to the show's genius composers, Robert Glasper and Terrace Martin, who are going to be joining us. Oh, so. my God.
1: I'm so excited.
0: And we are so lucky. We have Morgan Cooper, creator, and also Rashid Newsom, who is co-showrunner of the show. Yes. They're going to be talking to us a little bit about the art, the fashion, the style, how to bring West Philly and L.A. all together. Jeff, how do you feel about the fashion, being from West Philly, but then also you having to go to L.A.? And, like, was that even just jarring for you? Oh, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. You know, we had to dress a little different in Philly because, you know, you had to dress according to where you were going and who you were going to be around, you know, mm. for safety reasons. So to get to L.A. and kind of be able to Let your hair down a little bit was was definitely refreshing,
0: yeah. Because you could wear whatever colors you want if you're in the car, (laughs) if you stay in that vehicle and stay out of certain neighborhoods. We're not going west of Pico, okay? No, we're not going south of that line, okay? The fashion in the show is just wild, it's wild, and I can't wait for you guys to keep seeing it and see what has been on the screen so far. Yep we are kicking off this second episode talking again to morgan cooper we are so fortunate to have this return this sequel this reboot if you will and we are also joined by rashid newson who is a showrunner of the show thanks guys for coming on how you doing
2: i'm doing well thanks for having us yeah thank you for having us
0: just watched the fourth episode of bel-air and i'm on my ass <laughs> i have to stand back up <laughs> There's <laughs> so, so many things that we want to get into concerning the styling of the show from y'all's fashion choices to the crispy lineups to the set dressing. There's just so much to get into. Y'all had some pretty big shoes to fill seeing as, you know, the original like changed the course of fashion history in the 90s.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for us to really just started with what can we do to like honor the spirit of the approach of the sitcom, which was just like transcendent fashion and also just looks in general, you know what I mean, with with haircuts. We said from day one, it's like the, the haircut's got to be crispy, period. And mm-hmm. so we enlisted my barber from Kansas City, who he did all the uh, the haircuts on the original short film. And we brought him out here to do the haircuts on the show. He was one of the barbers. And, uh, you oh. know, he had him right, you know, had him looking right because you got to, you know what I mean? We we want to honor black hair through our show and really yeah. make sure that we're paying attention to those types of details. And it's the same thing with with the fashion as well and making sure that um the clothes are telling their own story you know what i mean so that was something that was important is in the pilot you know a lot of the tones that will was wearing were more muted tones because he's from west philly where like if you're flashing walking down the street like that can get you robbed period Yes. you can't just walk around icy you can't walk around wearing really bright colors because you know you might get marked out so like when he goes to bel-air though all of a sudden he's in a world where you can wear more saturated tones and it's a safer place to just kind of wear a little bit whatever you want versus Philly, where you see more maroons, grays, blacks, stone <laughs> steel, you know, a more monochromatic color palette in his wardrobe. So
2: I think Morgan hits on a good point, which is when it comes to fashion, it's part of the storytelling. In a lot of shows, they're just let's pick something where everybody looks cute and everybody looks handsome. Here, we're actually saying something about the characters through their clothes how they want to be perceived in this world, how they carry themselves in this world.
0: I loved it. I was talking to my mom about the impact of the show because she watched it as a young adult in the 90s, the old show, and I'm watching this show looking at Hillary's clothes, just like my mom looked at the original Hillary's clothes going like, I need to buy a pencil skirt. I think I need to spend that much money on a Chanel outfit. I think this one would look cute on me. Like the influence of these women and what they bring to the show. Can you guys talk about the styling for each character and what you think was important to bring out for them each? Well,
2: what was great is because of the you know the original we had a template. You know, you, you you've got an idea of who Hillary could be. You've got an idea of who Uncle Phil is, and so it was about sort of updating that. When it came to Uncle Phil and Aunt Viv, for example, the one thing we didn't want is for them to be too sort of uh, stodgy in their dress. The idea should be that even though they are older, they've still got some swag. They've still got uh, a feel for fashion because they grew up caring how they looked, and that should still be reflected. It also should speak to their economic status. I mean, one of the things I remember about Uncle Phil is like, I don't care if he is relaxing. He should just look like money. You know, he's wearing a T-shirt. It's a Tom Ford T-shirt. That was part of what sort of drove us as we did it. But a lot of this, I mean, I can't tell you, you know, I've worked on a lot of first season shows. When we showed up day one, Morgan had a lookbook that I want to say was about 300 pages. So you had all this material to begin the conversation.
3: And it doesn't hurt when you've got just an incredible looking cast <laughs> who make everything look good. You know what I mean? Coco serves those looks, you know what I mean? And, and Jabari and, uh, and Adrian and Cassie. I mean, oh my God, like they're, they're all just such beautiful people. And so, you know, we wanted to make sure that we had clothes that once again told a story. And it was also our chance to incorporate black designers as well. And that's that's something that we're really, really proud of you know, where, where you see a, uh, a grayscale, a black mannequin, an AC cream, like you see these these black designers, you know, in our show. And, and that's important. That's how we shift culture, you know, is by providing a platform for them to express their brilliance through the wardrobe. And so I'm, I'm so thankful we were able to do that.
0: What I really love about this show from the moment that Will is in the Lexus and you see he has the hat to the side like ti but instead of the walkman headphones he's got the beats by dre on which is the perfect like this version um every rapper is in a beats by dre commercial that's just that's just how it goes but then also a favorite moment i had is when will stuff finally comes from west philly and we see about 60 boxes of sneakers and his whole soul just re into the room he's so excited he's so happy that they're here he feels like it's him. Can you guys talk about the sneaker culture in the show and how important it was for like the essence of hip hop and Bel-Air?
3: So important. I mean, you know, when you think of the the sitcom and, and what y'all were wearing back then, I mean, different level. I mean, still to this day, you look at some of those episodes and it's just like, the sneaker game was different. It was so incredibly yes. different. So who would we we'd yeah. be remiss to not, you know, dive into that head first, you know what I mean? And uh and make sure the sneaker game was crazy on all levels. I'm Will, by the way.
0: Lisa, not gonna lie, I'm loving the kicks with the suit. Cuts quite a figure from a distance.
3: Oh yeah? (laughs) How about up close?
0: Oh, it's pretty nice up close too.
3: (laughs) So that's what we did. And you know, in that scene in particular, we see Will. Like, Will didn't have a chance to pack anything when he left. It was like, you know, he left that, he left the jail cell and went straight to the airport, right? And so he's just kind of dealing with what he had. So when he sees all the sneakers and the things that remind him of home right away, he was rejuvenated, you know, by seeing that. And so, like, for us, it was important to have different colorways, you know, different silhouettes with the types of Jordans that we put on screen. You know, we wanted to mix it up a little bit and have fun with it. And, you know, Jabari... Jabari is the freshest too, just like offset too. like, if you see Jabari Banks walking down the street, you gonna know it's him because the sneaker game is gonna be crazy. (laughs) He's gonna be rocking something wild. And so like we had a lot of fun mixing up different colorways and seeing the shoes play in tandem with the wardrobe to create these really interesting color stories.
2: I love this. This is a great example of why you need a team. I am not a (laughs) sneaker. I don't, I don't, I don't own sneakers or any blue jeans. That's just isn't, that isn't where I, I am. But I would go into these budget meetings, like we need these sneakers. <laughs> we have to have these sneakers. Having just learned two minutes ago, the to <laughs> so put these on shoes. some fresh
0: high tops before you spin Ella. That shocks me. That shocks me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and and I love the fact that you guys had the great Jordan fives, which are the Bel Air Jordans in Dude. the new wow. version of Bel Air. Like I picked Edge. that up immediately. And sneakerheads are going to love that.
3: Absolutely. Hey, the great fives, like, oh, come on. That's, that's a timeless classic. You know, we had to pay tribute to, to what you guys did, you know, through the reimagined show. And. That's one way we definitely wanted to to pay homage.
0: The breadth of the show, the level of intention that goes into everything, like even hearing y'all say that and knowing I missed that entirely because I wear like boots and Birkenstocks, like the things that I missed, it's so cool to know that like there's a million stories being told, and you get to it's it's your choice to pick up on what you pick up on. That's so beautiful.
2: Well, and also it, it makes the show. I mean, like this show is a show you should rewatch. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, there's something there. You will pick up something new every time because it is just that layered. I, you know, very few people probably will catch everything. We barely catch everything, and we were here. Uh, but it, I, it it bears rewatch, and it, I think it'll hold up over time because of all of this.
1: You guys That's nailed that. It. One of the first things that I said is we didn't look that good. <laughs> we were cool. We had some cool clothes. But I think you guys nailed the fashion. I think this is going to be, um, you know, one of those shows that people are going to come here to look at what, They want their look to be, which I think is
2: important. Well, and I'm excited because, I mean, I think people, you know, this is through episode four. The clothes get better as these. I mean, Aunt Viv, for example, is on a trajectory here where she's growing as a person. And so that's reflected in the way she dresses. As as Morgan said, the same is happening with Will. So, I mean, by the time we get to the finale, which, you know, I've scene i mean it's just it's great
0: don't rub it in our face that you know how it is come (laughs) on now rashid you know it's um great that you brought up aunt viv because her storyline so far is my absolute favorite in this most recent episode we see her recreating her studio kind of dealing with what it means to reassess her life path and grapple with what she's given up to be the wife (laughs) the wife just to be the the politician's wife so we get to see her redoing her studio we get to see um glimpses of her old art and her art is beautiful it's abstract impressionistic afrocentric like what was the decision in going down that alley for her and how important was it like what was the process of picking what her art looked like
3: While well, i was putting together the lookbook for the show there was a lot of art that I was just looking at. You know, I've always been a fan of fine art. You know, my favorite museum back home is the Nelson Atkins Museum. And I just remember going there. <laughs> love Nelson. Like, you been to the Nelson?
0: <laughs> yeah, I've told you I'm a Nebraska girl. I just want y'all to know you can't see Morgan right now. He is rocking a KC jersey and he's got beautiful art behind him. So he's speaking to what he knows.
3: And you know what's crazy about that? This is Jason Wilcox right here who actually did all of Viv's art. He was Viv's artist. Like oh, he painted wow. all the pieces, Kansas City artist so and Beautiful. these are these are two of his pieces um and so yeah you know was looking for something that just felt very black felt very intimate in her artistic style it had a really interesting color palette but also with a style that that had its way of evolving in itself you know as we see her evolve we see her style and feel evolve because she's you know this passion within her is reawakened right and so mm-hmm. there was her past style but she's finding a new style as she's, you know, experiencing, you know, Will's effect within the household and the, the shifting dynamic between her and Phil and the kids, it's like we feel her style begin to open up and, and find a new voice for Vivian the artist, you know, 2.0.
2: As with everything, I mean, it was very deliberate and intentional. We had art meetings. I've been on a lot of shows. We didn't have art meetings. You'd go down to the set and they they'd like pull out three pictures and you just pick one and they'd put it on the wall. We had discussions. We have a art, great art department. We worked with Corey Kaplan, Kristen Peterson, and Jill Chesky, uh, And they brought us lookbooks, they had contacts. Um, a lot goes into this. When you watch this show and you see the art just in their house, because again, we're going, they're rich people, they'd be art collectors. In that house, I think over the course of this one season, we have over 125 different pieces of art. Wow. I mean, every room was, I mean, again, you left nothing to chance. We went through it. Morgan had a list. I had a list. The art department had a list. Room by room, what's going to be in the kitchen? What are we going to have in Phil's office? Because it all speaks to character and story. It also does something that even if the audience doesn't appreciate on a conscious level, it's telling you something about these people. One of the things I thought was really great about the show is when Will walks into that house, it's a mansion. Okay. Rich people live here. When you see that on the wall, you know, black people live here. That's right. You know, people who care about their culture and have some connection to it. There's a moment, it's not in four, it's coming up, where Will sort of says, this is my favorite painting. And I love that because I think teenage boys, they have favorite cars, they have favorite shoes, they have favorite songs. Can we normalize them having favorite paintings?
3: Yes. And especially in a world where like, you know, everything is so digital and there's nothing wrong with NFTs and digital art. Like I got respect for all of it, but like. You know, there is really something about something that's handmade in that component. And thinking about this family, that was important for us, you know, in our reimagining to to make sure that, you know, we don't lose the handmade component of the artistry, you know, within our shows.
1: And I think to your point, Morgan, um, I almost think it's a role reversal. We were used to holding something in our hand and having something tangible and had to transfer into digital today's kids are getting excited about buying an album and holding the album in their hand because they're not used to having music be an actual physical piece. So it's kind of the same thing with art. Wow. Damn, that's crazy.
3: That's such a crazy connection. Damn.
0: It does. It goes back and forth. I think about... The massive like hipster wave in my generation was having vinyls and having a record player like you were you were cool as hell. So it definitely it, it ebbs and flows. It's really cool to see culture like that. OK, real
3: quick. Does everybody on, on this podcast have a record player in records? I'm sorry. Yes. Just take me out of that.
0: I was going to say <laughs> outside of outside
3: of Jeff. Outside
0: of being a DJ. <laughs> so Ada
3: and Rashid, do y'all have record players? We, yes. Do. Yes. we do. OK, we do. We, I want to hear everybody's favorite record.
0: Oh, what are we spinning recently?
3: Steely hmm. Dan Asia.
0: Ooh. Okay, what a deep cut. Um, I recently have been listening to Vince Staples FM. Like, I got it for that, and it sounds so much better, more fun, warmer. I really enjoy it. Big boy voice cut through. <laughs> Cuts through.
2: We, I, My husband and I have two small children, ages four and seven, and we play music every night at dinner. And you just, you have it on in the background and it goes wild. Cause like, they don't know anything. You just, you can just play whatever you want. I want to say last night was Ella Fitzgerald sings the Gershwin song.
0: Oh, those kids about to be cultured. <laughs> oh, they about to be cultured. They are. And though it, it's sort of
2: sad. Like my daughter is in love with Lena Horne. And at one point she was like, when can we see Lena Horn in concert? And I was like, oh wait.
0: R.I.P. girl. I'm so Sorry. <laughs> this is a perfect transition into what i really want to talk about a scene that actually made me cry like no cap i wish i were lying but the scene where Aunt viv is braiding ashley's hair and she even tells her like well i already changed my hair because of the polling numbers this is one of the biggest donor events of your dad's campaign which means we need need to be perfect (sighs) look i know this campaign hasn't been easy Trust me, I'm feeling it too. We all are. So why do you do it? Because I love your father. And he spent years going to all my gallery openings and art shows. And now it's his turn to be in the spotlight. And we need to all be there for him. And we see the sacrifices once again that she's made for her husband's career and for what she, you know, exemplifies. I think about like Matthew Cherry's hair love and Just don't touch my hair and how we're clearly in this black revolution about raising awareness about what it feels like to have hair like this um, from the the A's to the B's to the C's to the, you know, all of it. So can you guys talk about just how important that scene was, why you put it in the show and what you think it means for the characters? Oh, sure.
2: Uh, I think, I mean, that scene, I love that scene. It it does a lot of things for us. One, it sort of grounds them. So Viv is wealthy, but she still she still braids her daughter's hair. That's still something that they do to bond, even though I think in that scene, Ashley isn't totally bonding with her mom because, you know, she's a a preteen that happens. Um, And I think, you know, we we think of the changes people are asked to make to their hair, to their appearance. And we normally think of like the Michelle Obama. We think of the political costs. But that can happen if you become a teller at a bank. So often as black people, we're sort of asked to tone it down, rein it in, look professional. And... Sadly, it's been for a long time accepted as part of the game. We made those changes because that's what you had to do to get that paycheck. I love that that's stopping. I love that people are just going, I'm, I'm going to come as I am because I'm actually here to work and that has very little to do with the hair on my head. So I, I think the show reflects that, uh, that, uh, that awakening. I also want to ma- mention one other thing about the hair braiding scene, and, and that's important to us, is that, you know, this wonderful hair doesn't just happen. Yes. Somebody's got to braid this hair. Somebody's got this takes this takes some time. Uh, my daughter, I helped braid my daughter's head, and I'm you know we do it in two parts, and we have two people, one working on each side, because she is seven and she will only sit for so long. You know we've got this down to a military operation, and we wanted to see that reflected in the show. I mean, even when they come down for breakfast, that these you know they've got bonnets and, and head wraps. Like it should there should be a reality that says you want this great look. It takes some work.
3: And I think just in general, like us as Black people, is such, it's so interesting in this country just due to like the history of our country and, and our origins in this country. It's like on our road to success, like we have to do business with people who don't look like us, right? And like you think about, you know, white people are privileged. If they want, they can do business with people that look like them forever. You see what I'm saying? It's like we don't have that that luxury. You see what I'm saying? And that's just, that's just due to the history of it and the inequity of it. But now we're coming to a place, and it's it's we still got a long way to go. We're building our own infrastructures to where you know we can break bread with people who look like us. You see, I'm, where we don't have to code switch. We we can wear our hair the way we want. We can dress the way we want. And I think that's really exciting. You know what I mean? So a scene like this, I think, is important to to convey that that like you know we're taking step towards a new day where like we have infrastructure that's self sufficient. You know what I mean? So it's it's one step at a time.
0: Can you guys talk about what it was like? creating a team of black people because I'm assuming you have people in your art department, your makeup department, hair department that is that, that are black, Rashid is black, Morgan is black. Like what did that mean being in a space where you created an infrastructure that was all black or predominantly black? How did that feel for you guys?
2: It was good. What you had is you didn't have to spend so much time explaining yourself. We had we had black people and even, you know, the people who were black, they came to this project well informed. You know, like we didn't have to explain who a Ferrari Shepherd was. Yeah. We had an artist on set last night in a scene, and it was great because there was as much excitement about this painter as there would be you know, like a rap star. Because that's, that's sort of like <laughs> the crowd we're, we're running with for this show. I learned in this job I, how much time and energy I spent just having to explain the culture to my bosses or explain to people why this mattered. And with that freed up, you had energy and time to do other work which I really appreciated, And I think it's one reason why we got so much done. You know, just knowing
1: how much ground we broke on the first version of the show musically, how important was it for you to keep that going? I I realized from watching the first episode and the first scene, I lost my mind. I'm like, oh my God, that was the most authentic music I've ever seen on television. This is amazing. And, and and it seemed like that was very important to you guys.
3: It was of the utmost importance, you know what I mean? It's like I don't think anybody would ever expect to turn on our show and the first thing they hear is is what we do by freeway. like what? Like, you know what I mean? like it, and that's what it's all about is because if you know you know like that is such a touchstone within the culture. And, and you know, going to Rashid's point about having to explain some of those things, there were times that, you know, candidly that, that was a little bit of a challenge for people who didn't understand like, why that song was so important, why No Role Models was so important, why Meek was so important, why, you know, having, you know, Sim Santana, a young West Philly rapper who's really doing his things, like, these are cultural touchstones. And so even if you don't know, you can feel like there's some real energy here, you know what I mean? Like, these lyrics and the, the way these bars are coming out, like, that's real energy and that's real texture that we needed to really show Will's world in the most authentic way. And so that's what it's always been about is just like, once again, through the prism of character and the world building, like where are we at? Okay, like what are the sounds that we're hearing? What we do is a timeless classic. You know, yes. long after we're gone, they are gonna still be rapping, what do you say? Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? When they stomach start ground and the heat start blowing, yeah. you know what I mean? They, they gonna still be rapping those bars because of how timeless they are and what they did, you know? So we really wanted to honor that spirit through the show.
2: And I just wanna add that, I mean, I've been again with a lot of creators who said, oh, music's important to me. And that is very easy to say, You have to do your homework. We came to that room. One of the first things Morgan gave everybody was a playlist for every character. Every character had a playlist that he'd already... So when it came time for what songs do you want, it wasn't like, well, I'd like something like this. It's like, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. And that really focuses the conversation and it sets you up for success. You absolutely
1: feel that in watching this. The music authenticity comes through so strong when you when you watch this. You know, even down the, the, the scene that Will comes into the record store and Buddy comes in and he's kind of like, Jazz, I got an emergency. Hey yo,
3: Jazz, I got an emergency. Oh shit, Buddy. Oh shit. Who is this nigga? It's my boy Will. Cool, cool, cool. Look, I'm going to the studio tomorrow with Pharrell. I need some new sounds. You got something that sound like the hungry caterpillar ate 20 tabs of acid with a side of shrimp and grits?
4: You got something
5: like that? Africa. Demon fuzz. My fucking guy.
1: First of all, when Buddy walked in, I just gave a thumbs up. I was kind of like, okay, somebody (laughs) knows their stuff in here. But to say that Pharrell was coming in the studio and then Jazz goes and gets, you know, this Demon Fuzz record, I'm sitting there like, okay, Mm -hmm. who is doing this? This is awesome. First of all, I got to respect that the character
2: Jazz runs a record store. That is so perfect. I just want to say one thing about that record store that I also love, because this is the benefit of having you know, a two-season pickup, so we, you know, we know we get to tell these stories over 20 episodes. Historically, Jazz and Uncle Phil had some beef. There was, yes. they, were not always, they were not always on good terms. He was not always hospitable. I think in season two, even, we, we can see some of that emerging, but one of the ways, very early that we're establishing they have similarity is, you know, jazz runs a record store and Phil has this great record collection. These two men both love music. Yes, there is a foundation for understanding here that may help us down the road. And I love that, it. like it's it's been planted from the very beginning.
3: Phil playing Tribe Called Quest was everything to me. A hundred percent. That's his generation, you know, and, and we didn't want. The, you know, the reimagined character to feel like they were stuck in the past. It's like, no, like, what really would Phil be listening to? And it would yes. be the tribes, you know, the souls of mischief. That's what they grew up on. Same thing with with Viv and, and her musical palette of, you know, Sade. A L- lot of Lauryn Hill, you know, was on that playlist as well. So
2: When we started talking about Phil's music, it was, uh, you know, it, it was a tough day for me because I watched this show growing up and I identified with Will and Carlton. And I'm like, I'm 42. Oh my God, I'm Uncle Phil. You know, there was a moment we talked about music and I'm like, oh, should should we go Motown? I'm like, no, that's my parents' music. Oh no, he'd be listening to my music, you know? Like when you turn on the radio station, they were like, this is the classic hip hop station. I almost crashed the car.
0: Wow, talking to Rasheed and Morgan, that could have gone on forever. There's so much to cover. We have fashion, music. I want to say thank you to them too, for coming in giving us like real behind-the-scenes insight of what it means to be producers, showrunners, just to be in the back rooms, making sure that everything gets put together. Very fortunate to have spoken with them.
1: It's a lot that people don't see.
0: A lot going on, and they're so lucky to have a team of Black people who really get it. I am super
1: excited because today we're going to talk to the show's two genius composers, two very close friends of mine, Mr. Robert Glasper and Mr. Terrace Martin.
0: Terrace is L.A. born and raised. He's a multi-instrumentalist. He's produced albums for artists like Herbie Hancock, Snoop Dogg, Kendrick Lamar, Robert from Texas. Got six Grammys. We're going to get into it. He's worked with your literal favorites. Most Def, Q-Tip, Erykah Badu just everything everything jazz hip-hop r&b these two are like the best in the game
4: wait till you see us dance oh the dancing it's a whole nother level wait till you see our we have such a great routine behind cisco it's amazing
5: oh man i didn't want i know you're gonna let that out i know yeah y'all get yeah, exclusive it, y'all get drive. exclusive today yeah hey we got dancing her like <laughs> five today terrence
0: welcome to the podcast what up, hey, what, hi, up, hi, what, hi, what, up? what up what up what it do can y'all two explain to listeners like what actually comes along with composing the music for a television show? What parts of it feature the two of your work? We're
4: a whole different thing that's kind of never been done before in this film scoring world, I might say, because we're not only composing, doing the score, but because we're record producers, you know, the Rolodex is very round. You know, when things can't get cleared, we get them cleared. When things need a song, if they can't find a song, they need a song, a certain type of song. Hey, Snoop, like hey, like Punch, you got something over there. Me and Rob was so personally attached to this because it's part of our shot, and we know everybody involved. We know Jeff, like, we, you know what I'm saying? We were so kind of attached that we we did a lot of things that we've never done and we're gonna start doing. We was kind of like a one-stop shop for a lot of things. Without getting too deep, it was a lot of different music that couldn't get cleared, and I just so happened to know, not the- I, like, hold I, on. The artist. I'm gonna
5: fall right with him now. You All right, are we good.
4: Up. <laughs> you know, and because because a lot of times you get all these uh, what I call micro egos in the way of the artists and a, and a show to where like this. This is a powerful show that helped raise a few generations. This this helped us know. Keep it real. This helped us know that you could still be black and have bread. That's a big deal. Absolutely. Absolutely. A, a lot of the artists wasn't even getting a call like, you know, this is a the chance. They like. Put us on there. Put us on like we want to be a part. So that really was this thing. So me and Rob, if Morgan wanted, like, man, you know, say we got this song, but it cost this much, we can't. I say, okay, why don't we give them the same energy? But unlike a typical score thing, why don't we just go call another artist yep. to kind of do do those type things? You know what I'm saying? Boom. You know, so yeah. it was we we are, our, our, our job was really filling the blanks, uh, uh, from, from 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 executive standpoints to music standpoints. You know what I'm saying? But uh, definitely all all of the music supervisors did an excellent job.
0: Did an excellent job. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So LA artists all over the soundtrack, all over the music. There's a moment in the pilot where Thundercat comes in and it's just like the perfect cruising down Pico music. I think it's Them Changes plays, which is iconic. Steven Bruner track. Are you trying to bring in LA artists and LA musicians, LA violin players? Like, are you really trying to tap the wells that you have?
4: I'm just always dealing with my own crew. They just Mm -hmm. make it easy. It's you got a mean crew. I mean, hey, I'm, I'm, I learned from a guy that comes from a mean crew. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you, know, you, know, you got a mean crew, too. You know what I'm saying? It's easier for Fury. It's easier because we all know each other. We all could go different dimensions musically. And getting back, uh, not that anybody ever talks about this, but I'm, I'm learning this, is like getting back to the clearances and things like that. It's such important to have relationships with these people mm-hmm. and, and people to be connected to people that's all involved in these different films and everything. So people... To feel comfortable about their music even being involved or even being shown shown of a different light. That's also a different thing. But but Steven Bruner, you know, you gotta have his music And his his music represents California. Entirely. Yes.
0: <laughs> Entirely. Absolutely. And that and modern music
5: in general. But it definitely represents Cali, for sure. Absolutely.
0: I know that process of creating music for yourself and for natural just creation ideation is so different than when you're scoring something. So can you talk to that a little bit? Like, how is it different when you are making songs for both?
5: So, yeah, when you're when you're just making music for yourself,
0: score you, on life. You're, on
5: your, you're on your own time. You, yeah, you yeah. know, you're on your own time. You know what you feel. You know what you want. You know what you're trying to portray, what story you're trying to tell. Mm-hmm. The, it's harder to score something because you have to try to bring to life what somebody else is thinking in their mind. Mm. You know what I mean? So it's not your vision, it's their vision. A lot of times you might have a different vision, but you have to tell their story, what they want to portray. So that's the hard part. And you're on someone else's time at yeah. the same time. And some people might not even know what they want yet, but they want you to magically- Most of the time they don't know what they want.
4: Well, you know what? It's it's For me, I, I don't do that many revisions for me. You know, if, if it's my record, I got one, two times and I hope it goes well. Scoring is like the ultimate test of, of your ego. It's the it's the ultimate, like, I'm a grown man with children. Yeah. You know, you <laughs> know You know, I pay taxes on kind of grown, non-fun things. It's a true test. You know, when you say you want to start scoring movies and scoring TV shows, you have to really understand what that is. First of all, it's definitely an honor, but it being such a big show. And it's classic mixed with something new. You already had Quincy dive in, QD3 early. Then you got all Then you got all these things. And it's like, people with this show is like, it's a whole new thing. But you better not fuck it up. It's like, that's kind of the whole, mm-hmm. that's been the whole thing. You know, like, you like, we want all your sound. But don't forget that first one. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it, it's been a learning experience. and It hasn't been easy, but it's been beautiful. It's been a challenge. And I, and I, I believe challenges are great because I'm now... At this age, I'm addicted to the breakthrough. So any challenge coming my way, I I love it. So Mm. it's been very cool. It's been very cool to do 20 million revisions on one cue, turning things up and down. It's been cool.
5: A (laughs) 10-second cue.
4: (laughs) Oh, and everything is an emergency and a deadline on a Sunday.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's got to be a lot because when you guys are making your own music, the only producers you answer to are your damn selves. But when that's it comes it. to this, right, like you got a whole team of people who may or may not understand the music that you're trying to go for, who may not understand why No Role Models is the perfect song to start the first yeah. episode. Like, what exactly is going on with that, too? Do you guys ever get kicked back? People are like, no, nah, that's not it. That's not right. Try it again. Uh, then what?
5: Yeah. <laughs> for sure. mm-hmm. Definitely. And that's something that, and like Tara said, you, you definitely get your ego checked if you have one, because you'll send some stuff in where you're like, boom, nailed it, <laughs> and no, you did not. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Could you try something, you know? You have to be okay with rejection. Rejection is a big part of the game. If you're not okay with rejection, don't do it. You get rejected more than you get the okay. That's true, you know what I mean?
1: That's true.
5: Yo, yo, it,
4: it brings me to where Morgan, Morgan sends back these notes, right? All these revisions, and I I love his notes. His notes, I love everybody's notes, but his notes are like, you can tell it's not going to work because he comes off with the compliment. Oh, my God, this is amazing. (laughs) This is so moving. It's so great. Oh, my God, I'm having dreams about it. Oh, my God, Jesus. And then he says, but respectfully. (laughs) Or
5: respectfully, could you try something else a little <laughs> <Yeah>. better? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's definitely, um,
1: that's definitely a little bit different than working on your own stuff. Um, For sure. Especially because I don't think people understand that it's probably harder to compose something that's 15 seconds and something that's five minutes because they want you to
5: have the emotion of five minutes in 15 seconds exactly exactly they need you to do that and they want you to it, can you start like this and then all of a sudden it, become, it grows and it's like yo you want me to grow in seven
0: seconds bro how long have y'all been scoring and doing composition like is this a first tv project for you
5: for me, it's not. My first score was, uh, I did this uh, movie with Don Cheadle. It's called Miles Ahead. It's mm-hmm. a, basically a story about the life of Miles Davis mm-hmm. in a certain time period. And that was my first time scoring anything. He just tweeted me and was like, hey, I love your music. You know, then we started <laughs> talking. And he's like, do you do scores? And I was like, you, you know, lied. I lied. man. lied. <laughs> uh, I lied. And then... I had to have Derek Hodge, shout to see Hodge. I had to have Derek Hodge fly down to New York and show me how to work logic, so I could do the score. Because I had no idea how to do any anything, and I was about to go on a on a tour in Europe. So I did half of the score when I was in Europe. Then, if, uh, after that, I did this movie called The Photograph.
0: Uh, uh, um. Um, oh, with my boss Issa Rae and my favorite Lakeith Stanfield. Yes, we're familiar. We're familiar. I
5: scored that one. I scored this documentary about the Apollo Theater, and that actually won an Emmy. Also, I scored this dope show. This is a, a documentary about a show called Mister so- called Soul, but the the, the documentary is called Mister Soul. You know about that, Jazzy? No, I don't, bro. No, I don't. It's basically Soul Train before Soul Train. This is like 1970. Ooh. And they had it was everybody's first time being on TV, like Ashford and Simpson, Earth Wind and Fire, Stevie Wonder, but not even not even just that, like McCoy Tyner. Oh my God Like it went it went all over the place. And then they had you know Muhammad Ali on there talking, and they they would do forty five minute sets. What? So it's live, and you do whole forty five minute sets, bro. But it was only on air for like three years, and then President Nixon was like, oh, because then they started getting. Angela Davis on there. Oh, yeah. It started getting too political. They cut it off. And then Soul Train started like a year after that.
0: Okay. This
5: show is called Soul. So the the documentary is called Mr. Soul.
0: It's a music documentary, so I can guess it's a lot of archival footage. And Quest loved talking.
5: Uh, I think he might be in there.
0: Yeah. (laughs) That's every music documentary.
5: Of (laughs) course. Shout out to Quest. uh, Congratulations. Yes. Yes.
0: um, Yes. You know, for the summer of Soul.
5: Yes. absolutely, a bunch of yeah. soul out here. We out here. Andy's in the movie Soul. It's so much soul. Listen, it's got it's soul all over the it. place. <laughs>
0: But it's my favorite thing is watching my, you know, my favorite musicians, these legacy musicians and all that, like coming into the film industry and the TV industry. But I want to know, there were so many times I was watching the show and I would hear some dope and try and Google it and Google would be like zero results. So I'm like, these people made this song for this scene and I'm not going to find it anywhere unless I buy a soundtrack or something or whatever. But are y'all like digging in the archives for old things or are you making it up right there for watching the scene?
4: Right there. Wow. Right there, because what me and Rob are learning too with our partnership and, and this whole new venture, we could have all kind of preset things ready to go. But we realized that everybody has their own version of what sad is, what happy is, what's exciting, what's soulful, what's not. Everybody has their own thing. For a lot of this stuff, we work faster just creating right there instead of like, let's go through the file. We, we tried that, we tried that, but you know, nothing really worked. From our files to the point we had to, you know, Morgan, respectfully, this is amazing. Oh, my God. Can you guys create something <laughs> from here to here?
5: And we're jazz musicians at heart, too. You know yep. what I mean? So we're used to making things up on the spot. That's why I think it's a natural marriage for oh, us to be man. able to just, what you need, boom. Okay, boom, 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 boom. Because that's what we're, you know, lack of a better word, trained to do, you know, on the spot, boom, in the moment give you feelings in the moment.
1: It comes through. It, it definitely yeah. comes through. When you watch the show, the music really takes you a place that you're not used to hearing. You're not used to hearing this kind of music on the show. I'm sure you guys fight
4: or disagree. You know what? When, when me and him disagree, it's first of all, when we do disagree and we do have any type of get back with each other, it's only to get to the solution, though. It's, not, it. yeah. it's, it's not really be like, I'm right, you're right. It's like, Cause we 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 usually attached by the head when it comes to a lot of business, so we're not trying to fuck off no deal. We like, yeah. well, what do we? Mm-hmm. Which way? <laughs> I, you know, like with Rob. Rob, we have telling me, nah, they don't take that, and they don't take it like that. Just calm down. Mm-hmm. And I gotta tell mm-hmm. Rob, bro, stop giving them every fucking thing. They don't like us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. you know what yeah. I'm saying. <laughs> so it's like it's like these yeah. two things. <laughs> yeah,
5: yeah, yeah. Now we have a high level of respect for each other, so we listen to one another. We both yeah. know sometimes depending on the situation. I don't know, hey Terrace, whatever you think, bro. Yeah, and, and Terrace, the South same South thing. Valley. In certain situations, he'd be like, "Rob, you leave this." I don't know what you think, and then sometimes it'll be like, "I feel this, I feel this." All right, let's try both. Let's try this one first. Try both. You know yeah, I mean? it's yeah. it's really no arguing per yeah. se. Oh, not on this. We debate yeah. all day about shit. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. we don't. You know? Yeah, yeah. You know I me.
1: Mean. But I don't think that they could have gotten a more perfect group of people to basically score this because with this kind of picking it up in the 90s and taking it in the 2022 and putting a little dramatic spin. You know, if you guys were around in the 90s, you probably would have been doing this in the 90s. So I think it was just a perfect alley-oop to throw it to you guys because like you said, the whole being able to compose on the fly kind of allows you
4: to, to get the feeling that sometimes other people can't. We was bringing sounds through we was bringing orchestration through. We was bringing harmony. We was bringing everything. All the other guys got as well. Don't get it fucked up. But mm-hmm. I'm I'm proud to say what well, what we was bringing through is a, a high level sense of reality to this. You know what I'm saying? Like we felt more like way before the this show needed music. It needed another layer of reality to add to that. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's even what's missing to me and a lot of other scores I see. is like it, it makes me not even believe the fucking story. Like, you know what I'm saying? So this-
5: I'll never forget, the, not to cut you off, there was one scene where the score that they had in there, they had um uh
4: Don't say no name, uh, they don't think we it. They don't think we dissing. Don't say no name. No, they no, think no, we it's good.
5: It, it okay. was source music. It was source music that they had for a scene, a skating scene. And Terrace is like, no, they wouldn't play that in a skating rink in that year in LA. I know because I was in those skating rinks. They would play X Y Z, boom, 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 and to people that are front, you know, so that's little things like that.
4: And hey, they were skating to like a "He's Worthy," whatever
5: they was skating to. I <laughs> <soon. laughs>
4: <laughs> hey, don't, hey, hey, Jeff, th- these spot meetings, me and Robbie, hey, they ain't never had. Oh, yeah. We'd be like. Man, that shit. Wait. <laughs> no, no,
5: no, no. What is that? Ain't nobody fucking with that. <laughs> hey, but this who you got? We got to keep the bar high. Yeah, I, I can't. We can't sit back and watch it. Just you know. Yeah. With you know, Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Well, thank you to both of you guys for coming through, answering our questions, sharing these laughs. Really appreciated. It needed this moment. So thank you guys so much.
1: And I promise I'm coming out to LA, and I'm gonna stay for two weeks, and we gonna get it in. Hey,
4: look, hey, hey Jeff, when you get out here, I gotta introduce to my cousin that turned me on to hip hop. He's the one that bought the first album, and he's Ooh. the DJ. I'm the rapper. My cousin Louis Brown, Fresh Cousin, bro, like we used to listen to that record. It, it was a double vinyl. He's the DJ. I'm the rapper. Yes. I remember the intro. Will was bussing. Remember that <laughs> intro? Like, he was bussing like, like you know when. Like, you know what's funny? Every time somebody years later they'd be like, "Yeah, Will, what's shiny Will." I, I used to be like, "Come to the house, bro. Yeah, let me show you this. Let me show you. The, 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 let me show you how he evolved. Let me let show you me this too. shit. Yeah, and you, and it's just he's it's just, it's a DJ and an MC, and it got a, it got a Grammy. It broke. It it made That's us right. all.
5: What's the first one? The first first Grammy,
4: yeah. right? yes the first hip-hop grammy you know what i'm saying so it's like i I was
5: as low-key as jazz anytime (laughs) somebody asked me anything i'd be like yeah i got the first what was the question
4: (laughs) (laughs) no hey that's that's still humble i i would say if they say terrence how's your day i would say every rapper with a grammy is
5: mine (laughs) they're all mine (laughs) they're all my kids no, no, look at them. Oh, you have a Grammy. Yes, you do have a Grammy. Who has a Grammy? Yes, you do. Uh, uh. <laughs> look at him with that Grammy. <laughs>
4: That's funny.
1: Wow. Listen, this Man. has been amazing. You guys continue up the good work. And we yep. are going to keep listening, man. I love both of you. Take care. And I Glad will you see you soon, soon.
0: Damn, that was an interview. That was an interview. It doesn't get better than that.
1: I told you. They're
0: hilarious. They're funny together and funny apart. They're just amazing, man. What can't they do? That's so irritating.
1: They both are incredible <laughs> talents. Um And they met back at jazz camp when they were 15. So, you know, I told you, you know, both of those guys are good friends of mine. And they are definitely two characters.
0: And it was just such a special interview getting to hear two close friends, clearly, but then also three guys that have known each other for a long time talk about music and what it means to be Black men in this industry. Like, that was just such a wonderful conversation. Yes,
1: it was. And
0: funny. Hilarious. If they didn't want to be... Jazz musicians, they could be full-on comedians. Absolutely. They
1: are. <laughs>
0: Once again, thank you to our guests, Morgan, Rashid, Robert, and Terrace. Next week, we'll be talking about a theme that's a through line throughout the entire show, which is success.
1: Check out the next episode of Bel Air streaming on Peacock this Thursday and come back to the podcast every Friday to hear more.
0: Bel Air, the official podcast is produced by iHeart Podcast Network and Peacock. This show is hosted by me, DJ Jazzy Jeff, and by me, Aida Osman.
1: Supervising producer, Mike Coscarelli.
0: Producer and mastering engineer, Bahid Frazier.
1: Executive producers from iHeart are Nikki Etor, Anna Stumpf, and Miles Gray.
0: Executive producers from Peacock are Lindsay Vogelman and Amber Ferguson.
1: And special thanks to Will Pearson from iHeart and Michael Scoggin from Peacock.